following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Today we're going to be continuing on with our series in Ephesians, which James started last week. And the topic of today's talk is, we are blessed. We are blessed. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been thinking a little bit about this idea of blessing and what it means. And I've realized that as a culture, we kind of have a little bit of a a weird understanding of the word bless. And uh, there's a couple contexts which I find particularly odd. So one thing in particular I find a bit strange is how in our culture, a very British thing to do is when you see something cute or you see something maybe a bit sweet, you say, ah, bless. (laughs) So maybe you see, I don't know, uh, a newborn baby or a load of puppies or a cat praying. I mean, come on, that is cute. That is cute. Oh, bless. You know, it's kind of, it's just our response. What does that even mean, though? I mean, who knows? Oh, bless. But I'll tell you what, the thing I find weirdest about our culture is how we respond to sneezing. It's a little bit weird. And I think there's two types of people in this world. Those who, when someone sneezes, goes on like nothing's happened. Or those who, when someone sneezes, says, bless you. Now, for many years, I fought really hard to to be one of those people who just moved on like nothing had happened. But then a few years ago, I realized that I said it. And then you find yourself, when you started, you can't really stop because you set the precedent for it. And this was hard for me. And, you know, I've, I've kind of become a bit more at peace about the fact that I'm a bless you person when someone sneezes. But I still have one big issue. This is real life for you. This is real life struggles. I have one big issue, and that is double sneezes. Those of you who sneeze have a very short break and then do another sneeze. Now, here's why this is an issue. I share a desk with someone here at the church. Now, because you may know them, I want to keep their name anonymous. We'll call them Melonda. Now, (laughs) Melonda is a double sneezer. And this is a struggle for me because it's hard enough me giving one bless you. So she'll sneeze and I'll say bless you. But then straight away she'll sneeze again. And I have a dilemma. See, it was hard enough me bringing out the first bless you, but to demand the second, I don't know if I'm ready for that. So this, I just, you know, James is saying about being honest, this is one of my real struggles. So there you go. That's something I'm really battling with. Um, But no, Melonda's great, despite a double sneeze. You know, she's an amazing colleague. The thing I find weirdest about this whole bless you in response to sneezes is its origin. Have you ever looked into that? See, back in the day, there's a few theories, but the, the kind of most common one is that back in the day when someone sneezed, they believed that evil spirits came out. So someone would say, bless you, as a kind of supernatural, superstitious, spiritual shield of protection, so that the the evil spirits didn't affect them. It's a little bit weird. So you thought you were just being polite when you said bless you. You didn't realize you're on the front lines of spiritual warfare. (laughs) Now, it's not just, you know, our bless and bless you that is a bit weird in our culture. I think generally our understanding of blessing is a little bit skewed and a bit warped. 
And today we're going to be looking at Ephesians and what Ephesians says about blessings. And this will give us a bit more clarity about what it means to be blessed. So if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is Paul writing to the, the church in Ephesus. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That passage is a great part of scripture, and it it says a lot about God, It says a lot about us, and it says a lot about what it means to be blessed. And so first of all, what does it say about God? Well, what it says about God is that he is a good God. He is a good God. He's a generous God that loves to give. The language we find in this passage, it it says things like, he lavished upon us by the riches of his grace, gave us every spiritual blessing, gives us a picture of a God who loves to give to us. And this is so significant for us because I think many of us have a picture of God as being a little bit stingy. Or maybe when you pray, you kind of come to him and you think, well, I don't know if God's really interested in blessing or giving. It's kind of like we have this picture of God as a, a dad, a father. He's got a box of chocolates on his lap. And we come up to him with one hand and we say, Dad, can I have a chocolate? And he kind of grips tight the chocolates and he's like, okay, you can have one, but only one, and not the caramels, because they're my favorite. And he kind of places, probably one of the ones with nuts in on your hand that no one wants. That's not the picture we get in Ephesians. Now, the picture in Ephesians, God is a God who, when you go to him and say, God, can I, Father, can I have one of these chocolates? He says, yeah, of course. And he gets the box. And he pours it into your hands and just pours, have as many as you want. And he's like, no, 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 you take the box. You can have all of the chocolates. That's the picture that we see. A loving God, a good God. Is that your picture of God? And then it tells us a lot about what it means to be blessed. And it tells us, first of all, in verse 5, how we're blessed. It says we are predest- he predestined us. For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's saying that he predestined us before the beginning of the earth. That means he he chose us before the world was even made. And why is that significant? Well, it says that you have a purpose. That in Christ, God has chosen you for a purpose. And that's so significant because for many of us, We weren't planned. Let's just say it. Statistically, 40% of us in this room weren't planned. Our parents didn't intend us to be born. And one of those statistics, 
probably statistically so and sat next to you is. It's just a common fact. Now, I can joke about it. I can have a bit of a laugh. But for many of us, this is really significant because you were told by your parents, not just, you know, we didn't plan you, but you were told by your parents, you're an accident. And for you, actually, it's quite a significant part of your identity. Because maybe not your parents didn't just say you're an accident. They told you, you're a mistake. We didn't want you. And that's something many of us live with. Why, why am I here? I was a mistake. I was an accident. And what the, the incredible thing about this passage says is that whatever your parents have told you, you were not a mistake. You are here for a reason. Whether your parents told you they wanted you or not is irrelevant because God wanted you. In Christ, you have a unique purpose and a unique plan. You're here for such a time as this. That means that there's a unique purpose for your life which only you can do. It's not like if you weren't here, someone else could do it. There's things in this church life that only you can do. People only you can reach. People only you can show love to. God has given you a unique plan. You're not a mistake. The next thing it tells us is that we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. Now, redemption is not really a word we use much in our culture, is it? I don't know if you use it much in conversation. I don't. But what this says is redemption comes through his blood. And what does redemption mean? Well, in the Old Testament, redemption was linked to the whole idea of slavery. And you could be redeemed or brought out or bought out of slavery. You could be redeemed. So the image we have here is that we have been freed from the slavery of sin. We've been freed from the slavery of death. The the chains that bound us once are now broken. And that's the most amazing hope that one day, because sin has been broken, that we can be with a holy God for eternity. But you know, it's not just an amazing truth for when we die. The amazing truth, the amazing blessing of redemption is that it starts today. That redemption starts now. And so you haven't just been broken free of the chains of sin when you die, but the chains of sin right now. It says in Romans that we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. See, you might feel, see, many of you can say, yeah, no, I understand that. You know, the, the day I became a Christian, that addiction, that issue just went instantly. Praise God, those testimonies are so amazing. But for many of us, the the day we became a Christian, we still kept struggling. And you know, when when I say to you, you know, you're no longer a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness, sin doesn't have control over you. You say, okay, yeah, you say that, but you don't know my struggle. You don't know my addiction. There's people in this room who have addictions to substances, whether it be alcohol or drugs. People who are addicted to other things that numb the pain, whether it be Netflix or TV or our phones. And you might say, yeah, you you say I'm, I'm, I'm not a slave to it, but it feels like it. But the truth of redemption is that is not who you are. See, the Bible says you're not a sinner You're a saint. 
God has made you a saint. You are holy. And even if you struggle from now to the day you die, you are not a sinner. You're a saint. You're a slave to righteousness, righteousness and not a slave to sin. And it's important that we know that distinction. God has made you holy. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's something we've got to cling on to. That's who you are. Next it says that we have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That means we've been forgiven. Every sin you've done throughout your past, all that baggage, all that history, all the sins you'll commit today, and everything you'll do, every wrong deed for the rest of your life, God has forgiven. What an amazing blessing that is. And and because it says it's by his grace, there's no way we can say, you know, I, I earned it. There's no way we can say, you know, I was good enough and so God gave me salvation. Now, the truth of this is before you were born, God chose you in Christ. You didn't earn it. It wasn't because you're a good boy or a good girl or, you know, gave to charity. It's all him and nothing to do with you. Through Jesus and his blood only do we get salvation. And then it says we have every spiritual blessing. And why is that so significant? Because it says that you're not incomplete. In worship time, we had uh, Terry said the phrase, God equips those he calls. If he's called you to something, he's given you everything you need. And, and some of us, we discount ourselves, don't we? We say, you know, I feel like God's called me to this, but I'm probably too old now. Or I feel like God's called me to this, but I'm not really intelligent enough. Or I feel like God's called me to this, but I don't really have the money or the the gifting or the, the, the looks or whatever it is that we say, I can't do this for God because God says you have every spiritual blessing, everything you need to do what he has called you to. What is it that you've discounted yourself for? God says you have everything you need. Now, for those who uh, maybe you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that no point in this passage does it talk about material blessing. Material blessing. And the reason that's so significant is because that comes up at massive odds with our culture, doesn't it? I mean, what does our culture say is to be blessed? What is it to be blessed in our culture? You've got a lot of money. You've got a big house. Nice car, good relationships, great sex life, good health. That's what it is to be blessed. Look at any magazine. Look at who you're following on Instagram and Twitter and on the magazine covers. It's to be blessed. It's to be all those things. That's what culture says anyway. But you know what? It's easy to say, oh, terrible culture. But the reality is, many of us as Christians define blessing in the exact same way. And you know, there's whole churches and whole church groupings and international ministries who their primary message is that God wants to make you wealthy and he wants to make you healthy. There's whole ministries and pastors, maybe some of your favorite authors and speakers who their primary message might be, God is going to make you prosperous and give you the most abundant life you could ever imagine. Now, is that true? It's a difficult question. It's a difficult one to answer. And the best place to answer that question 
is through the life and teaching of Jesus. So let's look at Jesus. What, what does his life say about this? Well, we look at Jesus when people were hungry. 5,000 people didn't have food. And what does he do? Remember back to your Sunday school days? He took the bread and the fish and he multiplied them and fed 5,000 people to the extent where they had more than they needed and there was food left over. To me, that sounds like the type of God who wants to give material blessings. And then you look at, you know, Jesus is at a wedding and the, the kind of whispers start going and, and someone says, the wine's run out. Have you ever been at a wedding where the, the drink or the food's run out? I was at one recently. I was at one recently. It's very awkward. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, don't worry, I've got this. It's like, bring me some water. And he turns water into wine. And we're not talking about, you know, the, the house wine that you order at restaurants because you can't afford the stuff off the actual wine list. We're talking about the good stuff. It says he turned it into the fine wine, the vintage to me, that sounds like the, the, that God wants to bless us materially. And when we read about Jesus' his, his life when it comes to healing, wherever he went, scores and scores of people were being healed. You know, the, the blind man sees, the lame man walks, a small uh, a child, a, a small girl who's died, he raises back to life. See, that sounds to me like the kind of God who... What's the blessing in a material way? And we read an example of, of, of healing in Luke 6, verse 17. And, and Jesus comes before a great crowd. And it says, He healed them of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Healed them all. But then if you're looking at it in your Bible, look to literally the very next verse, Luke 6.20. He's just healed them all and then says this. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. So, sorry, what, Jesus? Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall, blessed are you when people hate you. Sorry, Jesus, this doesn't seem consistent. And then he goes on, he says, but woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people don't speak well of you. When, sorry, woe to you when people do speak well of you. It seems, it seems so confusing, so inconsistent. I mean, one minute Jesus is healing them all. In the next minute, he says, blessed are you when you suffer. He, he's having people so, so confident that he's going to heal them that they just touch him and they're broken free of maybe years of pain. And then he says, blessed are you when you have pain. And do you feel that tension there? Have you ever felt that tension? It's something I've really wrestled with myself. See, hearing a message that God wants to make you healthy and wealthy and happy and comfortable sounds amazing when, you know, you've got the house and you've got the health and you've got the car and everything's going well for you and you're, you're sat in Costa drinking your chai latte and you take out your iPhone and go on Facebook and update your status and just picked up the new Benz, hashtag blessed. 
Sounds awesome to you then, doesn't it? It resonates. Yeah. I'm so blessed. God, you've blessed me. Mm. Hashtag blessed. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? But if it's a truth, it needs to be a truth to all people in all circumstances. So does that message of God, how does that message that God wants to make you blessed and prosperous and wealthy and happy, comfortable, how does that sermon sound if you preached it to a group of Christians huddled out in a burnt out church in Syria, having lost half their members for execution? How does that message of God wants to make your life awesome and easy sound to the the lady who's prayed Year after year, decade after decade, God, please, please take this pain away from me. And the pain's gotten worse. Is she still blessed? Is God still good? Here's a provoking fact for you. The New Testament has 112 references with the words blessed, blessing, or bless. Uh, those 112 references to blessing in the New Testament, how many of them do you think have a link or a connection to material prosperity? Out of 112, zero in the whole New Testament. See, the message that God wants to make you blessed and comfortable and have an easy life sounds amazing. It's really attractive and maybe it will sell books. But here's the issue. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up to our experiences. And it doesn't hold up to the Bible. And yet, and yet God is compassionate. God is good. He is the giver. You know, if we, if we had the time, we could go around this room. If I said, let's share testimonies of time where God has answered prayers for you, where you've been healed where you've had financial problems and he's provided. There would be so many stories, so many stories of God's goodness. And so we feel that tension there, don't we? It's, we feel the, the, the difficulty within that. And it's what theologians call the debate between prosperity theology and poverty theology. And I think for us as, as human beings, we naturally just like to, to pick a side, don't we? It's easier when we can just have a nice, clean, black and white answer. Here's what to believe. No wrestling, no struggling. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can believe. The problem is the Bible doesn't give us room to do that on this issue. We live in that tension. We have to wrestle through this issue. So does God want to give us material blessings or not? Well, ultimately, his purpose for our life is that we would know him and make him known. That's his purpose for us. That we would, we would know him, become more like him, and draw nearer to him. That he would be eternally worshipped, and we would be eternally blessed. That's his purpose. It says in Romans, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And so for some, that good, that blessing, may look like having a lot of money. Maybe God will bless you with a lot of money so that you can see his incredible generosity. 
and also give you a chance to model his generosity and to give in huge amounts to, to the poor and to the church and to charitable social action organizations. Maybe for you, God's blessing will be the, the temporary blessing of marriage. And you have an opportunity in your marriage to see a picture of the love between Christ and the church. In your love for your spouse, you can get a taste of God's p- passionate love for his people. But maybe for you, God's blessing in your life, maybe that money's a bit tighter and you, you struggle a bit more to, to make ends meet. And you have the blessing of having to have faith in God's provision. For some of you, the, the blessing may be that God, God blesses you by calling you to lay down comforts. And he says, I want you to live and reach uh, a neighborhood that's more deprived than where you live. Or move to a, a nation that's less affluent than this one. And that's God's blessing to you. It may be that God's blessing to you is either a season or a lifetime of singleness. And you have the opportunity in that to see God's care and see God's love and to serve God and go on, go on in adventures with God in unique ways and in, in more flexible and free ways than married people can do. And that's his blessing to you. See, it says in Romans that God works for the, the good of all who love him. And sometimes what we see as good and what God sees as good don't always match up. But our role is to say, God, you know, I come to you. I pray that you would do this. But ultimately, whatever you do, I will still believe that you are good. And I will still worship you and say, this is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's our prayer. And perhaps the best example of this kind of lifestyle is from Paul, the author of Ephesians. And in in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about having a thorn in the flesh. Maybe you've heard that before, a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know, was this a a physical ailment or maybe he had a mental illness or some type of spiritual affliction. But nonetheless, it wasn't a good thing. He was suffering with it. And so we read about his response to it in 2 Corinthians 12. And he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. So first of all, we see already that, you know, it's right to pray, God, please take this away. We don't have to be happy that we have these things. We can say, God, please take this suffering away. But here's what happened. God replies, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul's Paul's story here, his example, is like many of us. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I've, I've gone through something really hard, And God show me, you know, here's why it's happening. Sometimes that happens in the the midst of it. 
but sometimes it's not for many years afterwards. You know, in the last few years, I've known what it's looked like to, to, to lose a job, to lose friends, to have less income, to have injuries that stop me from doing any physical activity, to have pain, to have, to have hardships. And in those times, I drew closer to God than any other time in my life. It was in those times that God has grown me more than any other time in my life. And sometimes we really do know the reason something has happened. But let's be honest. Sometimes we literally have no idea why God has allowed something to happen. See, there's sometimes you have an explanation, but sometimes, even this week, I was hearing of a story of a, of a young girl suffering with something, and I thought, God, I genuinely have no idea how this can be good. I don't see any silver lining, and I, don't, I can't explain it or give a kind of, oh, well, here's why it's happening. No, I, I had no idea why God would allow it. But it's in those times we fall back on the truth that God is good. And he is working all things, your suffering, your situation, all things for good. The message of the gospel isn't that we'll have an easy life. The message of the gospel isn't that we get comfort. The message of the life is that we get God. We get God. In your suffering, he'll bring peace. In your loneliness, he'll walk beside you. When you are sad, he'll bring joy. When there's stress, he will bring calm. That's the promise of the gospel. And the greatest promise is that one day you'll see him face to face. That is the greatest blessing. See, one day, and this day is coming for all of us, we're going to die. And for those in Christ, when you breathe your last breath here and breathe your first in eternity, he promises to wipe away every tear. You know that chronic pain you're in? Gone. That mental illness issue that you struggled with for years? Gone. The nightmares that plague you every night, gone. The phobia that cripples your life, gone. It says that we'll have complete joy. There'll be no more suffering. We'll have peace. There'll be no more tears. We'll have excitement and fun and it'll go on and on. And then we won't get bored of it. It'll just go from one degree of glory to the next. And maybe for you that seems just kind of hard to imagine. And even as I'm saying it, you're like, okay, cool, that sounds good. But the truth of heaven is more real than anything you can see or touch or feel here. And that is your existence. That is your reality forever and ever. See, what happens here on earth is important. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a blink of an eye compared to the blessings we all have for eternity. That's the truth of the gospel. And that's why whatever life throws at us, we can truly say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That is a concrete promise. Nothing can take away from you. So how is this all possible? How is it all available to us? 
14 times in the first 14 verses, verses of Ephesians, Paul says this, in Christ, in Christ. See, these blessings are a free gift to us, but they didn't come for free. They were bought with the most costly of currencies, the ultimate price. It says in verse 7 that it's available through the blood of Jesus. His death meant you could have life. His sacrifice meant that you could be blessed. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? You can receive him today. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to buy it or earn it. Whatever your past, you can be in Christ today. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.